There's a lot of talk about personalization being the holy grail of banking. Some firms even use the terminology hyper-personalization. But to be honest, few banks actually provide deeply personalized products. With all the tech advancements of the past decade, it's still mostly one-size-fits-all banking. It's not necessarily their fault either. Given the history of banking and data siloed by products, banks can struggle piecing it all together. That's changing though, as creative technology solutions are able to help banks take a more customer-centric approach, and in doing so, get much better at providing personalized offers and pricing. I'm Zach Miller, Tearsheets Editor-in-Chief, and this podcast was produced by Tearsheet Studios. We work closely with Amdocs, a global technology company with 40 years of experience providing personalized pricing and products to the telecommunications industry. The firm is increasingly active in the financial services industry, too. My name is Katie Pegnikoff. I'm the director of strategy for our financial services practice at Project 202. We are an Amdocs company, and we sit in the category of global digital experience service providers. Uh, I am part of the delivery team of about 50 consultants. We are the strategists, designers, technologists, and program managers who are working on some of the toughest problems at the intersection of banking and technology. Last year, Katie spent a significant amount of time studying personalization and banking. Through the lens of a customer, she went out into the market and talked to about a dozen different people in the U.S., Well, I learned that there are kind of two big camps of customers. There's there's one group that understand personalization and have some sort of awareness that their bank can tailor experiences or offers to them. and, And they're excited because they either see that as a, a reward for their loyalty or, or genuine assistance um, from the bank. That's one camp. And then there's another camp that understa- also understandably approach it um, with, with kind of a fear posture and are very concerned about data privacy and, and kind of making sure that the what the bank knows about them um, is not is not super intrusive. Now, people who are generally uncomfortable sharing their info with banks also fall into two buckets. Based on their behavior, Katie calls these types of banking consumers the method man and the commander in chief. With the folks that I spoke to who were in the bucket of the method man, um, they had had some sort of very negative experience um, with a credit card or a checking account in their late teens and early 20s. And that, that they all reported that experience in detail, even ones who were like in their 40s uh, who were speaking to me. And, and that seemed to follow them throughout their life. People who exhibited method man behavior have explicit needs for privacy settings. They expect their bank apps to offer privacy settings in the same way Facebook or Instagram does. But there's a catch. Now, what's so interesting to me about that is that those settings don't exist. Their expectations are based on their own assumptions and preferences because most banks don't offer that level of privacy fine-tuning. Now, turning to the other group, the commander-in-chief, their relationship to personalization stems from a more complicated financial picture. They would say things to me like, 
the amount of information that my bank has about me is unsettling. Um, they, they really wanted help having a single view of their financial ecosystem so that they could reduce the complexity. And if you as a bank are approaching them with any kind of offers or promotions, right? Like that is not helping them simplify their finances. So they are not interested. It feels like there's just a certain level of mistrust in both the method man and commander in chief groups regarding financial institutions. This kind of follows the trend um, of, of publication and articles that are out there. Um, Elif banks in the U.S. are suffering a massive trust gap. Um, as And as we see like more and more fintechs enter the market, uh, they are becoming the primary financial relationship for many customers. And, and by primary financial relationship, I mean, that's, that's the FSI that the customer is having their salary deposited into. And that's kind of the origin point for all of their financial activities. So when dealing with these types of customers, it would make sense to me that banks have to first help them overcome this trust hurdle. Definitely, definitely. And, and what, I, what I heard from this group is that there are things like fraud alerts um, or, or sort of uh, organizational dashboards that would signal to them that their bank uh, cares about who they are and cares about their financial health. Yes, there's a lot of work to be done beforehand, but like this group, uh, you know, my sense is they they will re- they will reward brands with their loyalty um, if they if they are able to to sort of step back and say, aha, this or that bank is finally trying to help me. Katie shared with me that in her research, this method man personality almost always identifies as being male. So there may be a gender component to these behaviors as well. Moving to the other perspective, there are plenty of customers who are more open to personalization and data sharing with their banks. I characterized people who were more curious about personalization and kind of more more leaned in to the possibilities of the experience uh, as value seekers on the one side who had slightly less complex uh, transaction volume and and a financial um, perspective, and then shoppers on the other side who have higher transaction volume. Uh, The value seekers often were uh, slightly uh, lower income or or just had uh, more more dependents to, to care for. They were very interested in, in any way to save money. So coupons um, or discounts delivered to them for products and services that they used regularly were extremely appreciated. With the shopper's desire to find financial value, there was something else going on as well. And then the shoppers, they saw personalization almost as a type of entertainment. And and there was another kind of gender perspective that emerged here. This this was largely a female group. they so 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 to sort of highlight the entertainment aspect, 
there was one one person in this group who told me uh, she was part of a Facebook uh, group in her community and they would share with each other different deals that they were getting through their credit cards or or other rewards programs. And if she did not receive uh, a, a promotion or an offer that someone in this Facebook group had, she would actually call the brand and inquire specifically about eligibility. So with value seekers and shoppers, Financial institutions have an opportunity to more deeply serve them via personalization because they already recognize the value in sharing their data. They know if they do, they get something in return. Katie advises banks start with targeting these customers with personalized offers. She describes three different formats of personalization. Um, I think about the actual offers as one, um, delivering information or advisory to to customers as a second one. And then a, a third approach to personalization would be what I'm what I call in-process personalization. So actually helping the customer through a series of steps um, to realize the benefit of, of personalization. Um, so so with would say shoppers, um, I had one, one customer talk to me about, uh, his grocery store app and how he always bought the exact same, uh, I think almond creamer and he loved it. He'd been using it for years and he was elated when he would get a like 50 cent coupon off, um, through his app to uh towards this particular type of creamer and that would prompt his trip to the grocery store um then like in terms of information and advisory i think i think particularly for uh the the uh, value seekers uh they are they are dealing with usually a more constricted budget uh, and they could really use advice and information on what what is happening across their spending landscape, where they might be able to save money. Um, let's say their current reward credit card is uh, for airlines, but they would love to have someone tell them like, hey, Actually, it would be a better value for you to get, uh, you know, a, a gas ba- uh, gas credit credit card and and save money on your gas because you do so much more um, transactions at the pump versus with an airline. And with in process personalization, Katie says it's all about helping customers through experiences. The sum of those experiences is a particular journey. She gives the example of a robo-advisor. One of the things um, that came up was uh, like digital advisors for, uh, for wealth management. Uh, customers were wanting some sort of way to uh, let a personalization engine create scenarios for them on how much to invest, um, kind of broad categories of where to invest, and then would like their their financial institution 
to prompt them on when perhaps they need to come in and reevaluate their portfolio um, and some general guidelines for how to do that. And because these types of customers are more open to getting personalized offers, they're also more likely to feel some reciprocity for their financial institutions when they get them. The barrier to entry is going to be a little bit lower. Um, it's just just from a, a kind of experience perspective, you're going to get a little bit more forgiveness from, from these sets of customers as you kind of test and learn and, and roll out these different programs. So I see it as like less of a reputational risk for, for clients. The thing is, this is still a lot of talk. Most customers don't receive any type of personalized offers from their banks. So, so when I was doing the research, I, I would start out by kind of asking customers in general to describe personalization to me. Um, and then I would kind of move into asking them about banking. Uh, and then about 15 minutes or so into the interview, I would say, okay, so, so tell me about your, your experiences um, receiving personalization from your bank. Um, and, and they would tell me, they would look at me and they would say, what personalization? Um, and, and, and there was one woman I spoke to, she and her husband, they just shipped off their, their two sons to college um, and were going to do the RV lifestyle. They had sold their home. And they were extremely alarmed when they received offers from their bank to refinance their mortgage. That's disappointing. Yeah, you don't know me. We've had a relationship for so long, you don't know me. Exactly. I asked Katie about the required technical lift for banks to be able to start delivering truly personalized offers. It makes sense, but what's really required to make this happen? It could be a big lift for banks to do it on their own. Anyway, it all begins with wrangling data. It seems like the awareness is is there, um, but it, it's it's a massive technology uh, uh, investment. So it it would require banks to connect the data across all of their portfolio. So by all of their portfolio, I mean if 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 they have. Um, mortgages as an offering, checking accounts, savings accounts, um, uh, certificate of deposits, auto loan. The bank needs to have this holistic view of the customer and not just be blasting offers um, based on these individual silos of their, of their business. But banks are siloed, given their focus on products, not customers. They struggle to get this holistic view of their clients. They'll need to organize their data into a data lake or warehouse, and from there, begin building models around early use cases. One such case has been in the news a lot lately. I think one of the first things like every bank should be doing is setting up a, a low balance alert. Um, so there is a prominent bank in Canada who has already kind of cracked this problem and they are able to calculate for each one of their customers uh, what the amount is that, that once the customer's checking account gets to that amount, they are at risk for overdraft. So like you might have a, um, 
a threshold of let's say $512, I might have a threshold of 630. And so we would get, you know, we would get messaging when our account reaches those distinct amounts, alerting us like, hey, uh, you're at risk for overdraft. And I think what some of the big banks, at least in the U.S., are waking up to as they're reevaluating their fee structure is, you know, it charging $20 or, or whatever it is for an overdraft is it's not worth it when the cost of acquisition for the customer is many times that. There are solutions providers targeting this magical piece of product and pricing personalization. Amdocs is a company with four decades building deep roots into the telecom industry around the world. The firm has been making inroads into financial services as well. There's also some noise in the market too. We see happening in the marketplace right now is more of the sort of marketing agencies um, or the really big consultancies who come into clients and there's a lot of fluff and a lot of jargon. And unfortunately, they're they're pretty light on the technology piece. So we we pride ourselves in having um, best in class technologists. And then with Project 202, we we kind of layer on top of that. We have strategists, uh, designers, and front-end developers who can work with clients to get that first um, overdraft alert scenario out to market or, or, or bill pay, like letting customers know proactively that they have bills coming up. We have a tool uh, or a product called Catalog. Um, and what it what it allows is for business users, so say like a, a, a marketing manager at a bank, uh, to be able to set up different perhaps promotions or different types of educational content uh, to be directed at specific customers. So in essence, uh, it is a personalization engine. I asked Katie if a bank could theoretically build something like this itself or partner with a different company to get personalized offers. I think what I have seen so far is um, because of the complexity um, and the the siloed nature of many banks, they kind of need a, a third party, someone who could kind of be that trusted advisor um, look at things objectively and and help all stakeholders kind of move forward in a in a productive fashion. Personalized offers and pricing are here. Though we haven't seen its true power unlocked yet, there are tools, technologies, and companies making it happen. Stay tuned for the second part of this series, where we drill down into the Amdocs product suite to see how the pricing and personalization engine works and what financial institutions are doing with it to better serve their customers.